Welcome to this Halloween episode of the Good Old Podcast. I'm Jackie Franchuli for Wahoo's 24-7. And I guess it kind of fitting because that was a scary game to watch between Virginia and Miami. Scary because we sat there for four hours and watched a game with no touchdowns. At the end of the day, one team found the end zone, and that was Miami with a two-point conversion in the last overtime period to secure the 14-12 to win. It didn't you know when you what I said last week during the game recap against Georgia Tech it, it was a game that was built for UVA to win if you looked at what was coming into the game and even watching the game you saw those missed opportunities for the Wahoos to secure the win they had they had all the opportunities to win that game and honestly if you go back to that first half and you see that fourth down conversion that they decided to go for in the red zone instead of the kicking the field goal. And I get the, I don't do uh, before I even go to the play calling. I actually, I understood that call because of the way the defense was playing, but if they had kicked that field goal, we probably not even have this. Con- well, we probably still have this conversation. Cause I don't know if, um, how the, um, game would go, but it, we would, we were probably talking about a Virginia win today, but we're not, we're talking about a Virginia loss. And it kind of follows the pattern this year. UVA has not been able to string two consecutive wins at all this year. They've been kind of having this flip-flop where they just can't seem to hold on to success for two straight games. So we're going to dive in a little bit to this game. But before I get started on that, I just want to make a point. Um, I understand fans are frustrated. I understand this is a frustrating season. But please don't DM players. Um, especially with vulgar commons, just don't do that. These are human beings. These are student athletes that are representing the University of Virginia, representing the program that you like, representing the school that you most likely went to or you just love watching. Just don't go into their DMs um, with vulgar comments that, you know, it's just not done and it's awful. So um, so there's that. But let's let's talk football now. I'm off my soapbox. So obviously, before we kind of break down the offense, because that's all we want to talk about, but I just need to bring this box score up because let's praise the Virginia defense. Because last year, everyone just kept talking about how poor the Virginia defense was. And to be fair to them, there was times where they did enough to win. It's just uh, um, they didn't have complimentary football, so they weren't able to win. One of those games, you know, against Notre Dame, for instance, for instance, the one game where Virginia defense last year actually had given the opportunities to win. Brandon Armstrong wasn't playing, but that's the last year we're focusing on this year. This year, kudos to Coach John Rodzinski and the staff. I think I've said that several times, but this defense has grown so much from last year. They're putting their players in one of the best positions to succeed. They've also helped develop. Um, their technique and those fundamentals that we kept hearing so much about since spring. And you can tell this is a much better tackling team. This is a much better sound team. And there are things where you see on offense and special teams where you you see that they're, they don't have that football IQ in certain situations. You see the opposite on defense where you see where their growth is on understanding the game and understanding where they should be. 
Um, was it a perfect game for the defense? Coach Rudd would tell you it wasn't. Coach Cox would tell you it wasn't. There were a few pass break pass breakups that Antonio Clary will tell you, I wish we got a pick in that situation. Fentrell Cypress would say that's the same thing. Anthony Johnson will tell you the same thing. And Anthony Johnson and Fentrell Cypress are one of the best cornerback duels in the country, according to Pro Football Focus. All those guys are perfectionists, and they will say, like, I should have grabbed that instead of tipping the ball, I should have grabbed that as an interception. So, yes, there are certain things that they could do better. But, honestly, that was a good game for Virginia's defense. They they allowed field goals, sure, but they bent and didn't break. That was a good performance from the defense. Again, this is two games in a row where the defense did enough to win against um, against Georgia Tech. They bailed out the team. This week, to the credit of the offense, they didn't turn over the ball, nor did the special teams unit. But the defense kept them there, hoping that there was going to come that one moment where the offense would be able to find the end zone. The defense gave them those opportunities. Even in overtime, Antonio Clary had a pick for one of the two-point conversion situations for Virginia. For, for Miami, he was able to pick it off, so gave UVA an opportunity to win, which they weren't able to take advantage of. Again, the defense did a great job. So let's let's take a look at what the Virginia defense was able to do. Uh, Miami were only only had 272 yards passing on 125 of those was in the air. At 147, those were on the ground. They had 17 first downs and were five of 17 on third downs. What I really liked is I'm going to bring this up over here. Is this big plays? This is what I really liked about what this Virginia defense does. And we'll go to individual stats here in a second. What I like, the fact is Duke and Louisville, that's something that we touched on on the podcast, was that they allow big plays. Here, what I liked, what Virginia defense did, if you saw, they allowed one big play of 12 yards in the first quarter, and they allowed two big plays, one 23-yarder in the, in the second quarter and one 18-yarder in the second quarter. And they did not allow another one until the fourth quarter. This, de- this defensive staff is very good about making adjustments. When they realize they allow a big play, they try to make adjustments. And against Miami, it worked. Miami made their own adjustments. And that's what we saw in their final drive in the fourth quarter where they ran the ball a lot more, which was able to go and get a field goal to to tie up the game, but they made some good adjustments. And that's good to see where they only allowed three big plays. Obviously, if you know Virginia football from last year, that was a big problem for them. They were one of the worst teams in the country to allow those explosive plays. So let's look at some other defensive stats. So Nick Jackson, who is the ACC lineman of the week this week, uh, led the way with 14 tackles. It's something that we're kind of accustomed to when it comes to Nick Jackson. Um, he also had one pass breakup. Uh, Cohen King, he's having quite the return on the field. It's great to see him coming back from injury. Um, obviously, he didn't have the start of the season that he wanted coming off from first an elbow injury and then going and then spraining, spraining his MCL. And then finally back, and he's had two back to pad good games. He had 13 uh, tackles, second on the team. He also had one pass breakup. Nick Jackson also had one pass breakup there. Antonio Clary. He's also another one that's had a, a good season since coming back um, from missing uh, a first couple games of the year, including that Illinois game. Um, he had six tackles. He had quite the beginning of the game. I don't know if you were, you saw one of those kind of reverses that Miami 
uphold, I believe it was either the first or the second quarter, he read that play the whole way and he was able to get that tackle and get a tackle for a loss there. He had a good steady game for Ford of Virginia. James Jackson, again, two games in a row that he did well fitting his gaps. Um, we got to see a couple of freshmen in there, like Trey McDonald and Stevie Bracey, also contribute as well. Anthony Johnson, Fentrell Cypress, again, two guys that are pretty steady for Virginia. So, yeah, so this is this was a, a pretty good game for Virginia's defense, I would say. Um, let me put it back here, game. So Miami was never able to get any momentum. That was because of Virginia's defense. And we can all just say that this defense has grown a lot. And they did this performance. And I wasn't really going to touch too much into recruiting this, this episode because we're going to touch more on the game. But I wanted to make it a point because although we're talking about the game, they had a lot of visitors on grounds for this game. And a lot of them were on the defensive side of the ball. So this was a great game. I know a lot of people said, well, recruits are in this game. It was probably not a best game to them have. And I would counter, one, you were offering playing time, so they're going to like what they see if they want playing time on early. But two, a lot of the, a lot of these guys were on the defensive side of the ball. So they offered a new guy, Caleb Party. If you're a Wahoo's 24-7 subscriber, you would have known who he was. Um, so when you, we were expecting this offer, he visited. He's a safety, talented safety from Georgia Eagles Landing High School. He picked him an offer. He loves what he saw from the secondary. I mean, I would. Then you've got other guys, like one of the best players in the state was in town. Linebacker Chris Jones from Mountain View High School and a couple of his teammates like Eric Mensa. Both guys who have Virginia offers, and they both were there watching. Manchester Edge from, um, from Midlothian, Virginia, Mackay Byerson, he was also in town. So you have a lot of great, a lot of great players on the defensive side watching this performance. And some of these guys saw first couple games. So Byerson was in town, I believe, out of the first or second home game. And that's when he picked up his offer. I believe it was the opening, opening game of the season. And so he's seen the development of this defense. So that's, that's something that these recruits really take notice. Chris Jones was actually someone that did talk about that when I discussed how he liked his visit. He picked up his offer from the old staff when he visited, like, uh, gosh, I can't remember what game he, he came in last year, but he did attend a game last year and he's seen the progress that this Virginia defense has made. He's visited campus grounds so many times he's visited for junior day. He's visited for the Cavalier cookout in the summer. And then he obviously visit this Saturday. And one thing he's noticed is one, he likes the family environment, but also he's seen how this defense has developed under these new coaches. That is the crucial part. A lot of people focus on the scoreline, but the recruits, yes, they look at the scoreline because they want to win championships. They want to be on the national spotlight, of course, but they're looking at how are these players being developed? So seeing Chico Bennett, seeing Cameron Butler being successful, seeing Nick Jackson lighting it up, seeing James Jackson and seeing his development is probably something that really gets, gets their eye because you want to see progress. Seeing how far this secondary has come from last year also is something that these recruits take notice. So although you might see, um, you know, uh, the scoreline, these recruits are seeing more than that. Will they want a, a good atmosphere? Sure. That's definitely something that plays a role. I won't, I won't say it doesn't, but again, development does key. Um, also, Coop Upper, Virginia's 
Brett Clatterball, he's, he's a good linebacker from Eastern View. He was in town as well. Another guy that you want to stay home. Again, he saw this defense perform well, and he has a really good relationship with the staff. This is someone who's been to ground several times. He's been, this is a second trip this year, this fall, and he's also been to grounds um, during the summer. He came for camp, and I believe he was one time in the spring too. And he was also a frequent visitor last fall as well under the former staff. So again, a, a lot of good recruits were there. Um, there were some recruits on the offensive side too. And if you're a Virginia coach, you're saying, come over to Virginia. You can get some playing time. Some of those guys, um, you know, uh, I just tweeted out, uh, Louisa County running back, Savion Hyder. He was at Virginia. He's a, a great in-state, but also a county that you want to recruit. Louisa is only 40 minutes away. So that's a guy you want to keep not only close to home, but also in state. He picked up a Virginia offer. He's a 2026 running back. You're thinking, oh, 2026. Yes, you need to offer them to stay home because the, the, he's going to blow up. So Virginia's on him. And again, this is the type of kid that you can say, like, listen, if you continue on your trajectory, you could possibly come to Virginia and play early when you do. That's how you recruit these kids. So again, um, they had a lot of good visitor. And we will have all the visitor reaction. We actually have a lot of the visitor reaction already. Um, we have visitor reaction from Caleb Hardy. Um, who picked up that offer. We have visitor reaction from Chris Jones. We have visitor reaction from Savion Hyder. We also will be talking to Joshua Clark, who is also a really talented athlete in state. We also have reaction from Makai White, Chaz, Chaz Wiggins, Anthony Reddick, all also coming uh, here soon. So um, if you're a Wahoo's 24-7 subscriber, you'll be able to read those stories. And then obviously, if you're not, we also have a 50% off promotion that we're running right now. It will go until midnight tonight. So if you're interested in a subscription, you want to check it out. And if you're a monthly subscription, you could also upgrade it. So again, we have that promotion going to uh, so that you can check out the visitor reactions for yourself to see what recruits are saying about Virginia. So we talked quickly about the defense because honestly, a lot of you want to talk the offense. So we're going to take a quick break and then we'll come back to talk about what went wrong for the Virginia offense. And welcome back to the good old podcast. I'm Jackie French Julie for Wahoo's 24 seven. So we touched on the Virginia defense and then we went over recruiting. Um, I didn't plan to, but I felt like it was needed since. Um, a lot of people want to know the future of the program and recruiting is your, that's, that's where, you know, that's, that's your, that's your bloodline that, that, that is where, you know, where the future of the program is going. So wanted to touch that on that a little bit before we head into the Virginia offense. And like, again, if you're on YouTube, I'm bringing up the box score again, this is also available on Wahoo's 24 seven, um, all on the, on the blog post that I did live as well as on the game thread as well. So you were able to see these as well. So we touched quickly on, on the Virginia defense because honestly, they were just they were just really good at pressuring uh, the quarterback. They also were able to get off the field uh, really quickly and were able to bend but not break. Well, the Miami defense did the same thing. This was a game between two defenses that did their jobs, um, but Virginia had its opportunities to take advantage. Although, if you look back on tape, this was a game that. Miami's um, Virginia's offensive line really struggled against Miami defensive line. So I'm actually going to take away this box score just for a second, because what I want to show is one of the prime examples, actually, 
of what I saw during, let me see here, during that game. Um, let me bring it up here. So if you watch, if you were on the Closer Look thread on Wahoo's 24-7, again, on Sunday nights, I tend to rewatch the game, uh, make some observations in our game thread. If you look at this one here, this is really early in the game in the first quarter. Virginia was facing a second and long. And Brennan Armstrong gives the ball, hands the ball off to Paris Jones. And Paris doesn't even have a moment to think. Miami was right there. Virginia's interior offensive line struggled all game long. They they were just manhandled. They didn't have any time. They didn't give any time for the run game to progress. Running through the tackles was not working. It was not working at all. So that was definitely one thing that I wished Virginia didn't focus on a lot. Um, Let's bring back. uh, Actually, let me leave that there. And I believe they had. So they had uh, Virginia had 208 passing yards and 119 rushing yards. Uh, they averaged 3.6 yards per rush, while 13.9 yards per completion. And a couple big plays, which we saw when I was showing you how Miami didn't have many big plays. And Ar- Brendan Armstrong led the way on the ground with uh, 67 yards on 20 attempts. I like the fact that they had some of those design QB runs because on on film, Miami did show a weakness for those uh, more efficient runners or quarterbacks. Those guys, those dual threat quarterbacks, they did have a weakness when it comes to that as far as when you're looking at designing your game plan, which was smart for Virginia to do. The problem is they kind of focused on pushing the run. They had 33 rushing attempts compared to 26 passing plays. And honestly, I think it it wasn't working and they kind of forced it. And I'm going to show you another play. Again, this is available on Closer Look uh, on the game thread. The one thing that I, I always been saying this, and I guess I, it's just been something that it's been a, a little ingrained in me because I like, I understand the whole, like the offensive line is one of the, the weak points of this team, especially when they're not healthy, but at the same time, you could still play call and scheme around it. And this one play here, I thought was very good by Virginia. They were second and long again. But this time, instead of Brendan Armstrong handing it off to the running back, um, he he throws it to Xavier Brown. Um, he pitches it to the left, and then Xavier Brown was able to get five yards from it. Unfortunately, um, this was uh, – actually, no, this one was good. There was another time where they tried the same thing, but then they had a penalty, which got him back for third and long. Um, so – this is something that they could do to kind of mask what's going on in the O-line, especially in the interior O-line. This is a good way of using your running back. So this is where I, I do feel like sometimes it is frustrating to watch that this is what you can see more of. And this team is built on confidence or momentum and rhythm. And this is something you can easily get rhythm from, from the team. So let's uh, bring back that box score real quick here. So let's bring up the box score again. So Virginia's offense had a a game where they had 327 total yards, 208 of those on the air, 119 rushing. Again, they didn't score a touchdown. They only had 12 points 
on the day. Kudos to Will Bittridge, though. That's we got a shout out to him after missing two field goals. Granted, one of those was a bad snap against Georgia Tech. He came back and made every single one, even in overtime and under the crunch time. So kudos to Will Bettridge for a good bounce game, a bounce back game for him. But third down, five of 16. A lot of those are because they go third and long. And I touched it on the on the play that I just show, showed. There are times when you just scratch your head when they do actually have a good good plan and they go on and make it second and sh- uh, second down and they make it third and short and then a penalty happens or a false start or a pass interference and then boom, it goes to third and long. You put yourself in those situations you're not going to have a successful third down ratio. So that was definitely something that you take notice. And it's a frequent problem for Virginia. They're often in third and long situations, which takes a lot out of your playbook. You're, You're kind of under the gun there. And then the other issue, obviously, is drops. I mean, Grant Mish dropping the ball in the end zone is a prime example of that. Imagine if UVA scored a touchdown there. No, they turned over on downs, so they didn't get any points in that situation. This was something I mentioned in the game recap and the game preview. If Virginia went ahead in Miami, I didn't think Miami had enough in their arsenal, and I don't mean physically, I mean mentally, to come back. That Miami was in a prime spot for Virginia to go in there and beat the Hurricanes and have two games uh, under their belt in the ACC lead going into the UNC matchup this weekend. They weren't able to capitalize on that red zone appearance and they came out with no points. Like I mentioned earlier, I understood that decision going in there and going for that fourth down because of how your defense was playing. And it was early. At the same time, knowing how your offense is unable to get points in the red zone, maybe you just take the points. But again, I understand why you went for it because you're, you, you also could count on that Virginia defense. So the big problem also for this Virginia offense is confidence, which is what I touched on. When you look at the first play of the game, Brennan Armstrong and the Cavaliers and Des Kitchings did what I expected them to do. If you watch Miami versus Middle Tennessee, you realize that they're going to have troubles with big plays. And they did. If let's go back onto the box screen on the box score and Harrison, big plays. Virginia had four plays of 15 yards or more and five plays of 10 yards or more. So this was a game where you saw Virginia in a little more in explosive plays, something we haven't seen much of them. And in that first play, when Brennan Armstrong overthrew Dontavian Wicks when he was wide open, I felt like that messed with a lot of people's heads. And, you know, Brennan Armstrong even admitted it in the post-game press conference because then further along, further along in the game, when he underthrew Lavelle Davis, he said, actually, in his post-game presser that he thought about the overthrow he had in the beginning of the game. So he made sure... He was like, I'm just going to throw a ball that I know Lavelle Davis is going to catch it. And if he doesn't make it in the end zone, fine. But as long as he catches it and it's going to get us in the red zone, that is my main, that is my main goal at this point. Because he remembered his overthrow. And then Lavelle Davis is doing the same thing. 
I think a lot of these drops and people talk about what the coaches need to do and this and that. I think now you just have to think that the drops are just affecting these wide receivers and then their mental state. I mean, if you're Lavelle Davis and you're coming out one game removed from dropping a ball in the end zone, what would have been a touchdown, you're thinking, I'm just going to catch this ball. I'm just going to catch this ball. And then he catches it and falls. Instead of thinking, how can I turn this catch into a touchdown? You're in this mode of survival. You're just like, I just need to catch this ball. That is my prime objective here. And just like Brennan Armstrong's objective was, I am just going to throw a ball that is going to be caught by my wide receiver. So that's what happens when you lack that confidence, which is why I wanted to show the other play. Because I think if I was Coach Kitchings right now and he, he's trying to figure this out. And you can tell sometimes from his play calling, he's just trying to get some of that rhythm going. Um, that's what he's trying to do. And that's what Coach Elliott is trying to do. They're trying to, co- they're trying to create some sort of confidence in this team. And one could argue the reason why they went for that fourth down where Grant Mish had that uh, drop was because they're trying to show confidence in these players to make those big plays. So it didn't work. But I, can, I understand I understand some of the mental side of some of these calls that they're making. They're trying to they're trying to bring in those confidence in those players. Um, so red zone, obviously a, a big problem for this Virginia offense. They were not able to convert those trips to touchdowns. So this year they've had 27 trips to the red zone. They've only scored on 19 and left with zero points on eight of those trips. Not great. That's 125th out of 131 teams in the country. They've only had 11 touchdowns. Again, not great. Now, if you look at the game, and it's something that I touched on in the five takeaways, was that, yes, the red zone is a problem. So we're just going to go to the start of the third quarter because that is the that is the one that some people um, start to kind of question the play calling a little bit. So that drive, UVA looked like they were in a lot of rhythm. Um, you got Armstrong finding Keaton Thompson for a 30 yard gain. And then you had Lavelle Davis where he found him for seven, four, four, seven, yard, 47 yard gain. Um, it was two back-to-back big plays. And then they were inside the Miami five yard line. That was a great way to start the half, but then they were inside the Miami five, but only managed one yard. Um, that's not great. You're then you have to settle for a field goal. I mean, you were inside and, one of the frustrating parts for me on that one was seeing them line up in shotgun. And I get it. They, they didn't have success in the last couple of games in the red zone um, in, in the power. So you're like, I get it. But again, when you had Mike Collins playing, Mike Collins had some successful, some successful plays in this game. He had some successes there. You're thinking, why um, don't you try Mike Collins there? And then speaking of Mike Collins, then he had a good, good play where Armstrong did a good job where he's getting pressured. And he was hit about a second after he gave the ball to Mike Collins. And Mike Collins ran the ball for 64 yards. His foot did come out. I know a lot of you had mentioned on my Twitter mentions that they there was no replay on Bali Sports. But he did. It, I remember watching it on the screen, Jumbotron. You saw his foot come out just for a second, just before that end zone. And then what Virginia did, they went for a run first. And then it got stopped got stuffed then they got a yard on this weird shuffle pass um and then they had a wildcat pass from keaton thompson that got knocked down now 
I will say I didn't hate this third down call because I think it, I think it was it actually, it was actually pretty good. Keaton Thompson's a quarterback, so why not try it? But also what I liked was honestly, Miami was buying it. It just happened that the defender saw in the last second, he extended himself and he tipped the ball. But I mean, it was a good, I thought it was a good play. I didn't have any problems with it. It wasn't a throw to defensive linemen. So I guess it's progress. But again, I didn't li- I didn't hate that play. I thought it was a good play. And if you're going to have a play um, scripted like that, you would give it to a guy who has experience under center. You would give a guy who's experienced throwing the ball in Keaton Thompson. So it's not, it's not shocking to me. Um, and it wasn't a bad call. Now, in the next one, it was uh, fourth and goal and Grant Misch dropped the, dropped the touchdown. He was wide open. I mean, you can blame desk kitchens on the play call all you want, but in that situation, the third the third play call, I didn't have a problem with. And then Grant Miss dropping the pass, I mean, desk kitchens wasn't catching the pass. So in that red zone situation, I mean, it was okay. I didn't have a problem with the play calling. Again, I don't have, I, I don't like them lining up in shotgun, but in that particular drive, I didn't mind what the sequence of events. Um, again, it's the same problems. It it feels like every Monday I'm talking to you about penalties, drop passes. Uh, I'm talking about red zone. It's, and, and I always say the plays are there. The points are there. They just lack execution and you can blame play calling all you want, but at the end of the day, it is also execution. It's also players that are normally executing aren't executing. And at this point, it's what I said about confidence. It does spiral a little bit. So you're hoping that something gets turned around as the season progresses because there's just not enough games left for you to turn around this season. You've got UNC at home. You've got Pitt at home, both noon games. You have Coastal Carolina at home, and then you got at Virginia Tech. If you want to be bowl eligible, you've got to win all these games. It's crunch time for Virginia. So that's a, that's the game recap. I mean, you've heard it all before. It, it really is the same story and coming into UNC and we're going to hear about, we're going to hear from Tony Elliott on Tuesday. The, the whole focus will be on how healthy this offensive line is because that is going to determine how the next few games are going to go right now. They're not healthy. Mikhail Boley did not play against did not play against in the last two games, I believe. He didn't play against Georgia Tech, and he was not dressed in the last game. John Plo Flores is hurt. Not sure if he'll play this week. I would put him on questionable. Charlie Patterson is hurt. I doubt he will factor in as well, although we haven't heard his name much, and we haven't heard his main name much because um, I actually saw him on the field this past weekend on crutches, so that is probably why we haven't heard his name. So you're with a thin O-line that is struggling. So it's going to be going to be tough for Virginia if you don't have a healthy O-line, especially when you're already working on with an O-line that didn't have experience and was already having some problems. Although to be fair to this O-line, they were getting better each week. And the step back that we saw against Miami was a lot to do with every single one of those O-line O-linemen played every single snap on offense against Miami. So um, I'm curious to see if Justice Johnson will be playing. He didn't have a snap against Miami. So I'll be curious if uh, he will be used against North Carolina. So 
Well, as I mentioned last week, we're going to change a little bit the podcast schedule. So we'll have the game recap, obviously, on Mondays because basketball season is starting next week. So we actually have basketball media days on Wednesday afternoon. We'll be hearing from Coach Bennett and Coach Mock. So both the men's and women's basketball team will be talking to the media on Wednesday afternoon. So my game preview most likely will only be published on Wednesday evening. So look out for that Wednesday evening, Wednesday late night, um, just because I have football media availability in the morning and then I'll be in Charlottesville doing all media availabilities for the whole day on Wednesday. So I probably won't get a chance to edit the podcast episode until late on Wednesday. So it might be posted Wednesday late, Thursday morning. And I might have a basketball one either Friday or I might do a special one next week before the opening game. That is up in the air because on Thursday night, if you follow high school recruiting, I will be at Highland Springs. I will be at Verina for Highland Springs at Verina. So I'll be covering that Thursday night game. And I will be at Mountain View on Friday where I'll see Riverbend at Mountain View. Why am I at these games? Because there are several Virginia targets um, in those games, um, including Chris Jones, one of the best linebackers, not only in the country, but one of the best players in the state of Virginia. He will be at Mountain View. And then obviously, you know, Highland Springs has some of the best players in the state, including quarterback Christian Martin. And also, Verina has some of the play- best players in the state and in the area. So I'll be watching those guys and I'll have all the recruiting updates as well. Uh, One last note, I will also be updating our 2023-2024 boards on the Wahoo's 24 site this week. I didn't have a chance last week, but there are new names that Virginia is after. They're also recruiting the transfer portal. So I will be updating the transfer portal target list. If if you've been a subscriber, you know that uh, Tywin Francis was a name to watch. They officially offered him yesterday so now there's other names to watch and i'll have the breakdown including a long snapper so they're also also looking at special specialists in the transfer portal so we'll be updating the transfer portal board as well on wahoo is 24 7 so keep an eye on that so again we'll be back here probably late on wednesday and then to be determined on when the next episode will be as far as do i do a basketball episode on Friday, or is the next episode going to be next Monday after obviously the Wednesday episodes for the game preview for UNC? We're still going to manage um, to figure that out for the next week or so. So again, thank you again for listening. Virginia is looking to bounce back for UNC. Hopefully our next game recap will be a little more positive. So thanks again for listening. Hope you guys have a good rest of your week and a safe and fun Halloween.